Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Thinking Spatially podcast series. The Thinking Spatially podcast series, where we think spatially across space, across time, and across scales, from local to global scales. Today's episode, Proximity and Adjacency. Proximity and Adjacency. These are core spatial concepts, and it's important that we address them in the Thinking Spatially podcast series. I hope you find this fascinating and appropriate and applicable to our everyday lives. Nearness, closeness, neighborliness, and more are all concepts that are related to each other, but that vary slightly in meaning, possibly as moving targets with geographical and cultural variation as driving forces. The words proximity and adjacency are two such words that also seem to embrace many others, including nearness, closeness, and neighborliness. To be clear, in the real world, entities, one, that are near each other but not physically contiguous, will be said to be proximate. Number two, entities that are physically contiguous will be said to be adjacent. Now, Cartesian coordinates serve as one way to measure distances. Geometry without coordinates, or synthetic geometry, has many uses as well. The situation with measuring proximity and adjacency is somewhat similar. One can use a ruler, coordinates of various sorts to measure these entities. There are, however, powerful tools without coordinates to probe these ideas and come up with ways to model or visualize elements of structure. Let's look at two languages for structural models, graph theory and topology. First, graph theory. Graph theory is the study of mathematical structures that model pairwise relations between objects. Pairwise simply refers to things that are in pairs. The objects are represented as vertices, nodes or points, and the relations are represented as edges, links or lines joining vertices. Two countries sharing a common boundary might be represented as two vertices, a pair, one for each country, with an edge representing the boundary to show adjacency. Or a country might be represented as a node, and all other countries within 500 miles, for example, as proximate neighbors, might be represented as nodes with edges to any country within 500 miles of them, creating a network of proximate neighbors on a continent. As interactive maps and decision-making is increasingly linked to artificial intelligence and deep learning models, encoding topology into these models to enhance decision-making is critical. It is especially important given the big data sets that are being processed by these tools, such as climate models, electrical wires, switches, and substations in an electrical network serving millions of customers, and the complex migration paths of geotagged bird and other species. Let's talk about another language for a structural model, and that is topology. General topology, point-set topology, is based on the following concepts. Continuity, compactness, and connectedness. It is a broad and complex discipline. From an intuitive standpoint, however, one might learn to think in general about various patterns in the world. Continuous 
functions are ones that transform nearby points into other nearby to other nearby points. Think of transforming one cultural community in one region of Europe to another in the USA, maintaining the cultural relations from the old world into the new world. Compact sets are sets that can be covered finitely many sets of arbitrarily small size. A sphere is compact. The plane is not compact. You can hold the whole sphere in your hand if it is sized appropriately. You can never hold a whole plane in your hand. A connected set cannot be split into two sets that are far apart. The global railroad network is not connected. A local rail network might be connected. A linking concept is that of topological equivalence. Intuitively, it means that one object can be stretched into another without crossing over or cutting into itself. Thus, a wiggly line stretches to a straight line. A donut stretches into a coffee mug. Of these concepts, Connectedness is generally the easiest to grasp intuitively and compactness the most difficult. However, as we shall see, compactness is a critical concept behind the scenes in mapping of all kinds. Topological relationships underlie all mapped and interactive maps in a GIS environment and enable all spatial analysis. Questions such as, how many water wells are within one kilometer of a specific landfill? or how much land is under five meters in elevation along this stretch of coastline? Or how many cottonwood trees are found within 100 meters of this river, that is, in a river's calculated riparian zone? Can only be resolved if, in a GIS if each of those mapped features knows where it is in relationship to the other features, that is, if they have topology. topology. Let's dig deeper into measuring proximity, shall we? Let's look at graph theory, tracing a walk through Königsberg. Königsberg. In the late 18th century, citizens of Königsberg challenged themselves to take a walk around the city so that they crossed each of the seven bridges over the river Pregel exactly once and returned to their point of departure. After several attempts, they discovered that the task seemed impossible, but all they had was empirical evidence. When when land areas and bridges are represented, represented respectively as nodes and edges, a simplified graph emerged that captured structural elements of adjacency of land masses along the bridges. Thus, it became possible for Leonard Euler to show in 1736 why the challenged walk tracing was impossible. In any sequence of nodes and edges representing a walk, an edge enters, and an edge exits each node. Thus, the total number of edges at each node must be an even number. This number is called the degree of that node. In the graph of the Königsberg bridges, all the nodes have odd degree. Three of them have degree 3, and one of them has degree 5. Therefore, the challenge of tracing out a walk across all the bridges is impossible. Euler generalized his location, or solution, as a theorem, and in so doing, the formal mathematical discipline of graph theory had its beginnings. Euler or Euler, as some might pronounce it, E-U-L-E-R, is regarded as the father of graph theory. To interact with the modern map of the same city, now part of Russia, go to ArcGIS Online and go to Königsberg and check out those bridges that I just described. Let's talk about proximity in another sense, and that is tracing downstream. Now, our world is full of networks both natural 
and human-constructed. For thousands of years, rivers have served to join regions as physical landscapes and watersheds, and culturally around common agricultural practices and through the cities that they gave rise to along their courses. Similarly, roads and railroads enabled swifter movement of people and goods, tying together people from lands even farther away. Bridges can hinder water flow but also serve as transmitters of human interaction. Two locations that are not proximate from one vantage point might become so from another vantage point. When they are viewed as connectors, bridges at strategic locations permit controlled interaction so that regions or towns that might not have been close now become close, just across the bridge. This next activity that I'm going to describe to you suggests how that closeness might be achieved by moving along a network rather than across it. This activity is developed more firmly and fully in our book that I co-wrote with Sandra Arlinghaus and Bill Arlinghaus called Teaching Mathematics Using Interactive Mapping. Teaching Mathematics Using Interactive Mapping. It was newly published in early 2024 by Taylor and Francis. Now in this activity that's actually in a chapter in the book, I am going to tell you exactly where that chapter is. It's in chapter 8. In that chapter, you will have the opportunity to develop skills in mathematics and map interpretation as you work with river data. Now, rivers, along with their tributaries, represent a specific type of network, a hydrologic network, a hydrologic network, where water and all sediment carried from the natural and human-built landscape flows. The hydrologic network is bound by ridges and hills that make up the natural boundaries of a watershed and is impacted by snow, rainfall, proximity to ocean currents and airflows, atmospheric pressure, types of soils, landforms, and much more. However, most hydrologic networks have also been modified, sometimes for thousands of years, by human activity. Canals, drainage ditches, dams, reservoirs, pumping stations, and other structures that divert river flow for irrigation, domestic water use, power, industry, or other uses may take that water into completely different drainage basins. Modeling flows through hydrologic, hydrologic networks is important to supply the needs for all these uses, for flood monitoring and control, and for many other reasons. Now, in the book that I described earlier, we have a linked map in ArcGIS Online. The map opens, and you can interact with it without signing into anything, just on a web browser, with a shaded relief base map of the world and major world rivers. At the initial scale of the map, you will be able to pick out the Nile in Africa, the Amazon in South America, the Ganges in Asia, and many others. Using the bookmark Europe, you can then go right to the patterns of rivers in Europe, noting that many of the rivers, the Drava, the Danau, or Danube, the Po, and others, arise out of mountainous areas of Switzerland and Austria. The Europe bookmarks zooms you to into a larger scale, so now you can see more rivers and tributaries than when you were at the smaller world scale. Investigate several of the courses of the rivers more closely using the pan and zoom tools, noting how rivers flow from mountainsides, between valleys, and onto and forming wide plains. Next, use the bookmark called Iowa, which moves you into an even larger scale. Which directions do the major rivers of Iowa flow? Why do they flow in these directions? One clue is the dotted brown lines that appear at this scale. These are the watershed boundaries, the watershed boundaries. Zoom in closer to the watershed boundary in western Iowa. 
As you do so, note how rivers on the western side of the boundary flow southwesterly toward the Missouri River, while rivers on the eastern side of the boundary flow southeasterly toward the Mississippi River. Relate this partition to the idea of a half plane, P-L-A-N-E. Zoom to another part of the USA and observe the watershed boundary where you have lived or traveled, comparing it to the landforms that you observe on this shaded relief base map. Then use the bookmark called 48 States USA to see most of the lower 48 states of the USA. Note the thick blue line that represents a trace downstream from a point in Boulder, Colorado. This trace represents the route of a cup of water as it would travel from Boulder, its source, to where it would enter the ocean, its mouth. Zoom to the beginning of this river trace in Boulder and pan the map along the entire trace from source to where the trace enters the ocean. How many river names are represented by the water as it moves downstream? You will see the Platte, the Missouri, and others. What is the name of the body of water where the water flows into the ocean? You will notice that it says Gulf of Mexico. On the right of the map, there are map tools, and under the map tools, there's a measurement tool. Use this tool to measure the length of the entire stream segment from its source to its mouth. Clicking at specific points where the river changes direction to obtain the most accurate measurement of the distance that you can in a short amount of time. What is the total distance? If, a, if the water flowed at a rate of 10 kilometers an hour, how long would it take for a cup of water to flow from Boulder, Colorado to the point where it would enter the ocean? Name three reasons why this rate of movement would not be uniform during the entire course of its route, based on what I discussed earlier about river diversions. Name one reason why floating along a river from its source to its mouth, even on a fast-moving segment flowing down a mountainside, would usually involve a greater distance and a longer time span than traveling on a highway along a similar route. To create your own stream trace, use this tool that's described in Chapter 8 of the book. It's called the Streamer Web Tool from textpub.usgs.gov. This tool will calculate the river trace, either upstream or downstream from a point you are interested in. It's from the USGS. Upstream traces show all of the rivers in red that drain into a point that you specify on a map. In this case, as I have in Chapter 8, Plattsmouth, Nebraska. Consider how the amount of water at any given point along a river reflects the influence of the entire watershed that drains into that point. Try the River Runner tool riverrunner.samlearner.com and also riverrunnerglobalsamlearner.com which allows you to try to follow the trace of the river while simulating flying above the satellite imagery from any point in the USA or the world respectively. Let's talk a little bit more about topology with regards to one-point compactification of the line. Now when a stream is mapped only a portion of its full extent is generally shown. One might think of it as topologically equivalent to a straight line segment. Then imagine that when the stream leaves the map beyond what we see, that it continues as a straight line forever, as a non-compact object. A little extra insight comes from that approach. Not much, but a little. Instead, imagine that a single point is added to that straight line, the point at infinity where the straight line wraps around back on itself to form a circle. 
Now, the idea of a stream in that form suggests that the stream flowing into a larger river, which then flows into a bay, then the ocean, then around the world in that ocean, and back to where it all began as water drops. The added point and infinity made the non-compact line into a compact circle, and in so doing, inserted the valuable suggestion of the hydrological cycle in association with the stream pictured in a single snapshot map. So that's a little bit about proximity and adjacency with regards to some real-world applications, crossing a set of bridges in town or tracing along a stream and looking at watersheds and river systems. And many of those activities, once again, are in our book, Teaching Mathematics Using Interactive Mapping. Thanks for joining me today on this Thinking Spatially podcast, the Thinking Spatially podcast series where we think spatially across space, across time, and across scales from local to global. Thanks. Thank you.